Crescencio Ibarra. He was just trying to be a good dad. Mr. Ibarra lives in a small town in northern Mexico, and he made a simple birthday party invitation video to invite the 140 or so residents who live in his town to his daughter's 15th birthday party. He talked in this sweet video about how he wants everyone to come. He talked about the bands that they had booked that are going to be at this big deal, this 15th birthday party. And there was even going to be a horse race. And the winner of the horse race would take home a 10,000 peso prize, about 500 U.S. dollars. At the end of the video, he sweetly smiles at the camera and says, everyone, hereby everyone, is cordially invited. At which point, that video was supposed to be shared privately on Facebook. And instead, was accidentally shared publicly, went viral in December 2016, and 1.3 million people RSVP'd that they would be attending Little Ruby Abara's 15th birthday party. Hashtag happy birthday Ruby became a trending topic. Some of you in this room may have RSVP'd to come to that party. You know who you are. Uh, Corporations got in on it. It became all these memes. Interjet, uh, an airline company, offered 30% discount on all flights to northern Mexico for everyone who would be attending the birthday party of the millennium when the day finally came 1.3 million people didn't show up, but 30,000 did for this party of 140 people. And of course, they get there, and their point is what? You said everybody's invited, so everybody came. What if I told you that there was a party that was intentionally set to go public? What if I told you that there was a party that is designed to go viral? It's not accidentally being shared, oh, this was only for a certain group of people, but it's supposed to, all over the globe, folks are supposed to come. Several questions. One, who, who could afford a party like that, right? At that point, that's not a party, that's a party, okay? I think that's where you cross that line. And what would it be like? And would you come? I mean, would you come? Really, would you come to a worldwide party? See, some of you, this whole pandemic, you've had fear of missing out. They call that FOMO. You've had FOMO, right? All this stuff's going on, and I'm not a part. You would absolutely be there. Others of you, you have phobia, fear of being invited. You're an introvert, and you love this. <laughs> and you're hoping nobody, right? Yeah, I want to know. Would you come? Here's why I'm bringing this up. This is not hypothetical. Turn to Isaiah 55. This is not hypothetical. This is exactly the partay that God wants to throw, and he wants to invite everyone, and you are, in fact, invited. We're going to see here in Isaiah 55 exactly the kind of celebration God intends. He has an unusual guest list. He definitely wants your RSVP, and y'all, you will not believe what's in here. You will not believe the band he booked for this party. It's all right here in Isaiah 55. Now, for those of you who have been here, you know we've been in Isaiah since uh, 2003, and we are now, <laughs> all good things must come to an end. And so this is the penultimate Isaiah sermon. Next week, we'll round out Isaiah. It ends in chapter 66, and we're going to take that as we did in some of the earlier chapters in a big chunk. And so next week, you won't want to miss. I mean, you, you know, you've been here, the, 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 the series finale of Isaiah next Sunday. But here in Isaiah 55, 
the party. And, and, and to get the structure of Isaiah 55, let me give you a little background. 53 was last week, the suffering servant. That's who earned for us these great blessings, this great party. Isaiah 54 are the blessings the servant earned for the children of Israel, ethnic Israel, the Jews, and now 55 for the whole world. Got it? To get your head around the structure of this passage, it's not hard. Just imagine the steps of a party. If you'll imagine how a party works, you'll get Isaiah 55. The invitation goes out. There's an RSVP. There's confirmation. And then the party itself. Got it? Those four things. If you're a note taker, invitation, RSVP, confirm it. Yo, is this thing still on? A lot of stuff's getting canceled because of COVID and everything. Just want to make sure, right? Got it? Invitation, RSVP, confirmation, and then party. That's what we're going to see here. Let's start with the invitation. Turn to Isaiah 55, verse 1. Here's the invitation. See if you can find the key word. Come, everyone who thirsts. Come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money, without price. Now, I know I can be subtle. But did anybody find the key word there in that verse mentioned four times? What are y'all supposed to do? Y'all just what? Come. You hear? (laughs) Just come. God is inviting people into the family of God. And this invitation is so near and dear to the heart of God, he repeats it at the end of the Bible. At the very last chapter in Revelation 22, the very last few verses of the Bible, he repeats Isaiah 55.1. He says, come to the waters and drink. Seems too good to be true. Come. And, and not only that, you're thirsty, come to the waters. You get life-giving sustenance. You not only need water, you need food. He who has no money, come, buy and eat. Now, what, what, what kind of party is this? This seems too good to be true. You, you can come and buy the stuff you need to live, and you don't even have to have money. Yesterday I was, how do you do that? How do you buy stuff without money? Yesterday, uh, Jackie went into Publix uh, to get some groceries, and, and so I was left in the minivan with the kids. And I thought, ooh, theology time. And I said, hey, uh, daddy's preaching on Isaiah 55.1. And I read him this verse. I said, how does that work? How do you, how do you buy stuff with no money? It doesn't make sense, right? How, how, how can you buy something with no money? Can you imagine if mom went in there with no money? Kids, how can you buy something with no money? One of the kids was like, credit card. I was like, that's truer than you know, kid. Like, people buy things all the time with no money. That's true. But in this case, you can't, it's not even an IOU. It's not even a credit card. You can buy with No money. It's too good to be true. It's a great party. So is there a catch? Well, actually, yes. There are two. Not everyone's invited to this party, are they? Who's invited? Specifically, look at the text. Look at at verse 1. Look carefully. Who's invited? Come, you who are thirsty, and come, you who have no money. Listen to me carefully, church. To come to God's party, you got to be thirsty and broke. The self-made, the self-reliant are automatically disqualified from spiritual blessing. Only thirsty people come to the living water. Many years ago, Steve Taylor, who's a brilliant, in my opinion, brilliant Christian music songwriter, many years ago he wrote what I thought was a brilliant song and he titled it something that was meant to be shocking. But if you listen to the song, it'll bring you right to the foot of the cross. And the title of his song that I love is, Jesus is for Losers. He's absolutely right. Jesus is still for losers. Spiritual losers. 
those who've lost what? We've lost all hope of self-reliance. Those who are willing to be rescued. You know, when, when someone's thrashing about and still trying to rescue themselves, that lifeguard doesn't go in. It's only when they've resigned. I'm ready to be rescued. I, I can't do it. I have, it's those who know, who have the good sense. If you've lost all self-reliance, you know if you're thirsty and poor, maybe, just maybe, you'll realize, hey, I need free water and I need free food. There's a reason when Jesus begins his ministry, the first words out of his mouth are what? Blessed are you who are high and mighty. Blessed are you who are influential. Blessed are you who have so much wealth. You're pretty comfortable in this world. You don't even care about the next. Blessed are you who are poor, he said. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Why? Because maybe, just maybe, you'll get this. And you'll realize what you're being offered. Yours is the kingdom of God. We sing, our hymns say this, we just don't believe it. Our hymns say what? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. But most of us don't think we're real spiritual wretches. We're spiritually middle class. We need sort of a spiritual upgrade. The Bible says, no, you're a wreck. You're a wretch. And your only hope is rescue. That's who gets it. The invitation is to the poor and the thirsty. Jesus said the, 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 the healthy don't need a doctor. It's the sick who go to a doctor. What's his point? Everybody is sick. It's just some people have not yet admitted they're sick enough to need Dr. Jesus. And so there's, no, 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 I'm going I'm to go at it on my own. This, is, this, this verse is shots fired at your pride. I love what one commentator said. Every church should put a notice on its front door. All face-saving moralists, take warning. Within these doors, your chilly pride is in danger of melting into exuberant joy. Enter at your own risk. But all sinners depressed with guilt are welcome. Christianity throbs with holy joy for bad people. God made it that way. And come, come get, and not just come get what you need to live, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Wine and milk, these are items of luxury in the ancient Near East, right? This is not just some soup kitchen charity case that's giving you enough to get by. He's saying come and, and, and have a luxurious feast. How? How can you buy, how, how on earth do you buy wine and milk without money and without price? You, we know why. We just went through Isaiah 53. Because it's been paid in full. This feast cost us nothing. It cost him everything. He's saying here, I think, too, pay attention to that longing in your heart. You know, th there is no more misdiagnosed. You know, a misdiagnosis when you think you have one thing but you think it's something else, so you treat it all wrong. The thing that's most misdiagnosed in the human heart is our homesickness for heaven and our longing for God. The Bible here is saying, pay attention to that. Pay attention to that hole in your heart. that you, you There's a reason you can't fill it with anything else. You think family will do it or single people think marriage will do it. Marriage is great, but it doesn't fill that, that infinite chasm in your heart. You think more money will do it. You think if I get, you're imagining this like comfortable life, and if I get to that, it's not there. He's saying, pay attention. The, the old um, sto story of the old rabbi whose uh, day job was to make wheels for a cart, cart wheels. And they, they asked the old rabbi, what's the, uh, what's the most important part? You craft these big wheels for the cart. What's the most important part of the wheel? Is it the, the hub? Is it the spokes? Is it the rim? He said, no. The most important part of any wheel is that hole in the middle. Because that's where the axle goes, and that's what makes the whole thing work. That's the most important part of all. The application to humans is simple. Maybe, just maybe, the most important part of you is that hole in the middle. You haven't been able to fill it with anything else. That's God reaching out to you. That's God saying, hey, hey, you, 
you're already trying to fill this void and it's getting you nowhere. To those who would refuse my invitation, and there are people who will out of pride. I don't want to be a charity case. I've got money. I've got the ability to work for this. He's saying, oh, come on. No, you don't. You're delusional. But to those who out of their pride refuse, he offers verse 2. God says to anyone who would refuse this invitation, you're already doing this. Why? Why do you spend money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Sin makes fools out of us. We spend our money and our time and our energy trying to fill this void, and where has it gotten you? Meanwhile, I'm offering you wine and milk, bread and water for free, and you'll refuse that. It's like the old Rich Mullins lyric, God, I'd rather fight you for something I don't really want than to take what you give that I need. We ache to fill this universal longing. No one is an exception. Perhaps you know the name of a 17th century French philosopher, Blaise Pascal. You remember Pascal? He writes, he becomes a Christian, and he writes in this book about thinking, Penzies, he writes these words. Now, the language is a little ancient, but I think if you'll plow through, it'll be worth it to you to hang on to what he's saying. I think you'll understand this. This is profound stuff that speaks to the reality of the human condition. He says, everybody's got this hole. Look what he says. All men seek happiness. This is without exception. Now, whatever different means they employ, they all tend to this end. I agree with him. Everybody's after happiness. So where's that come from? He says, what else does this craving and this helplessness proclaim? But that there was once in, a, in man a true happiness of which now remained to him only the mark and the empty trace, which he in vain tries to fill from all his surroundings, seeking things absent, the help he does not obtain in things present. But these are all inadequate because the infinite abyss can only be filled by an infinite and immutable, that means unchanging, object. That is to say, only by God himself. To that I say, amen, or amen, or however you say it in French. He's got it. There's a hole inside everybody, but it's not just a God-shaped hole. It's an infinite abyss. And the reason all the money and all the pride and all the work and all the family and all the good things can't fill it is because the infinite can only be filled. It can't be filled by finite things. The infinite can only be filled by the one who is infinite. But maybe you're not into 17th century French philosophy. And I get that. Maybe you're into 20th century philosophy from New Jersey. Well, same thing. Whether it's Blaze or the boss, everybody agrees. Everybody's got a hungry. Right? That's all he's saying. You've got a whole inside of you. From Blaze to boss to Isaiah, why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Jesus said it. He says, what if you crush it through life? What if you get every one of your professional dreams? And what if your family is so perfect and put together and they all make A's and they're all varsity and all world and everything. Oh, it's wonderful and they all love it. But you, 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 don't, you don't do anything for your soul. Jesus says, what does it profit a man? If he gains the whole world. What if he gained the whole world? Would it be worth losing or forfeiting your own soul? As H.B. Charles says, what are you doing? What have you got if you got the nicest house in, all, in the whole county, but your soul is homeless? What have you got? If you drive the nicest luxury SUV in the world, but your soul is thumbing a ride, hitchhiking, 
going nowhere. What, what if you got the nicest fashions in the whole town, but your soul is in rags before a holy God? What have you got? What, 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 why are you spending your money on that which is not bread? There's an invitation that's gone out. And, and, and if you're thirsty or poor, just come. If you're here in this room or you hear this online right now and, and you're asking, what do I bring when I come to God? What do I bring? Don't you do that when you get an invitation? Don't you? You're a polite southerner. Don't you ask, well, what can I bring? And what do they always say? Just yourself. You just come, right? In this case, they mean it. <laughs> just come. Just come. Come to him right now. Even as you're hearing my voice, say, God, I come. I come to you. I'm tired of filling my life up with all these other things. I need you. You don't have to bring and eat. And when you repent from sin, when you turn from wickedness, watch this. You're not just leaving a life of sin to now a life of servitude for God, which is slightly less miserable than sin. You're going from destitution, the spiritual poverty of wickedness, to the rich feast of wine and milk and living water and the bread of life. You're not just going from miserable to less miserable. You're going to a feast. Come on, look, eat what is good. Delight yourselves in rich food. Is nobody going to amen the old King James Version? Let your soul delight itself in fatness. I figured somebody would amen that. We're all struggling to be thin. The King James says delight itself in, in the rich food. This is the good stuff. Now, coming and eat is obviously a metaphor, and here it's explained. He gets into it a little bit in two, but in three, we realize it's a metaphor. At this feast, you consume, you eat with your ears. Listen. Listen to who? Listen to the word of God. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live. This is not just bad life to good life. This is death to life. And I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Listening to God's word is a way to draw near to God. In fact, it's happening right now. You are hearing the word of, you are right now hearing God's word preached. And that means right now, as you're hearing it, you can come to him. It's the invitation. If that's you, if you've never received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, right now, do it. Come to him. And he will make with you why does he bring up David? Not, not only here, but the next couple verses, he brings up David. He could have mentioned the Mosaic Covenant or the Noah Covenant or the Abraham, but he mentions the David Covenant. Why? Three adjectives about the David Covenant. What kind of covenant is it? It's an everlasting covenant. I don't think they got it yet, okay? Steadfast love for David. I still don't think they got it. Everlasting, steadfast, sure love for David. Why, why does he say, I'm going to model my relationship with you after my relationship with David. And, and why, by the way, was Matthew and Luke, why does the genealogies? I mean, you come to the New Testament, it's like genealogies. Like, this is boring. Why do, why do we care? Because they're showing you Jesus is in the line of Isaiah 55, 3. This is part of this everlasting. Why did he model it after David? Why such a big deal? Because David's covenant is an everlasting covenant. And let me ask you, did David always get it right? David was a notorious wrongdoer. David was a notorious sinner. And yet God was what? Faithful to David. He convicted him. He brought him back over and over. And that's what he says. That, that's the kind of covenant. I mean, you understand this party? This party has a lifetime guarantee. This party not going to end. Ain't no party like a covenant of David party because a covenant of David party don't stop. Go, everlasting covenant. Do you understand? Do you see? This, this covenant has a lifetime guarantee. Ah, but that's the invitation. 
Just come, that's the invitation. Now what? Now the RSVP. Répondez, s'il vous plaît. Reply, please. You must respond. Please reply. This invitation seems too good to be true, so the question is, will you reply? Look at verse 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. What on earth does that mean? How on earth could there be a time when God is not near? God's the creator of the heavens and the earth. He fills everything. What on earth? It says, seek him now. There's urgency. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he's near. What does it mean that there could be a time where God is not near? Listen, I don't know, but I don't want to find out. That's the point. I don't want to know. I don't need to know. Apparently, salvation, listen to me, salvation is a lifetime guarantee, but a limited time offer. You're not promised tomorrow. I'm not either. Will you respond? When the gospel goes forth, will you respond? What do I need to do to respond? Look, look, look. Seek the Lord. Call upon his name. Do you realize how hard it is to RSVP? Any of you get a wedding invitation? Anybody under a certain generation gets a wedding invitation? It's so difficult because you get a wedding invitation. They say, please RSVP. You got to find a stamp, and that takes like a year. I wish they would just say, give me a quart of blood. That would be easier than finding a stamp somewhere. And then you got to remember to do it. And then you got to go to the mailbox, put the flag up, or go to the post office. You got to do all these things. This is none of that. This is, this, is, this is better than a wedding. This is salvation. And God says, you want this? You don't have to find a stamp. Just seek and call. Seek and call. Right? Literally. Right now, there may be somebody listening to this online or right now, in your living room, right now, right here in this beautiful sanctuary, seek and call in your heart right now. God, I'm calling on you. The Bible says everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. You just got to RSVP. Everything's been done. The party's been paid for. Will you respond? Seek him. Don't put it off. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he's near. Do it today. And notice, seeking and calling. Look at verse 7. The Bible word for this is repent. Repent, believe, right? It's, people want to make it a two-step process, right? But look what it says. To seek the Lord and to call is automatically to do verse 7. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. You say, well, I, you know, that covers everybody. Because some people, they think bad things and they also do the bad things. Other people, and it's very easy to look down on judgment on these people until you realize you're the same way, uh, you, you'd never do the bad things, but you've thought them, right? And that's where Jesus brings out this in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, you're congratulating yourself because you've never murdered, but you had the anger that would have, lead, that would have led you to murder. So don't, don't let yourself off the hook, right? So whether ways or thoughts, forsake and return to the Lord. Forsake and return to the Lord. This is not a two-step process. It's not like, okay, step one, I have to repent from sin. I have to forsake and return to the Lord. So I've got to quit doing my sin, and now that I'm clean, now I can come to the Lord. No, 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 no. To turn from sin automatically, to turn to the Lord is automatically to forsake the sin. It's just a one-step move. To, re- to repent of sin is to come to the Lord, to return to the Lord. And, and repentance, by the way, doesn't just mean you're sorry for your sin. Forsake, it means you're sorry enough to quit. Forsake that way and turn to the Lord. Now, what if it happens? Like, 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 literally, what if it happens? Like, okay, so the way I see it, on a Sunday morning, I get three cracks at this <sighs> preaching thing. And, and assuming everybody's watching it online, then we've got the online folks. And then afterward, maybe they'll see it on YouTube. Here's my question. What if at this point in the sermon, what if somebody takes me seriously, 
and they RSVP'd. Now, I know what would that do to many of your hearts because you've already RSVP'd, right? You're a believer. And so it delights you at the very thought that there could be a sinner who hears the good news today and goes, that's me. So you're, you're already getting excited. You're thinking, yeah, and maybe you remember the day when you RSVP'd. But what if you're watching this online right now and that's you and you need to RSVP, you need to seek and to call, turn, forsake, and you just cry out to him right now. The Bible says you've crossed over from death to life. You put your full faith and trust in Jesus Christ and how will he respond? Can I ask you that? According to this verse, how will he respond? If, if that actually happens, right now in this room or online, if there's a sinner who right now says, you know what, I'm doing it. I'm repenting from sin. I'm forsaking that. And I want to be completely God's and I want to trust him. But wait a minute. Think about all the stuff you've done. Think about your past. What can you, when you turn to God, what can you expect? An angry judge? A disappointed father? According to the word of God, that he may have compassion on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. That's what you can expect. Compassion and pardon. I, uh, a while back, I, I had to make a late night drive home. I was preaching in Dalton, Georgia, and they had a Saturday night session. But of course, I'm preaching here in Coleman, Alabama on Sunday morning. That's two or three hours, I forget, from Dalton, Georgia. It's a pretty good drive. And it was late. And it was March, and a storm had come through. I mean, right between Coleman and Dalton, Georgia, right where I needed to be driving. And it was dark, and it was stormy, and now I had to begin my three-hour drive home. I, have never, I had never been to Dalton, Georgia. I don't know my way around Dalton, Georgia. I didn't know how in the world I was going to hit the highway that was going to get me, or, or whatever road was going to get me home to Coleman, Alabama, uh, and here a dark and storm. But you know what? I wasn't scared a bit. I just had my assistant map out the way. Yeah. I just said... Hey, Siri, take me home. And you know what Siri did? Siri wasn't scared of the storm at all. And Siri, Siri didn't care about the weather at all. Siri just told me, yeah, you just go right up here and about a half mile. And if you'll turn right, that's where you pick up this road. And that'll put you on the highway. And you'll be on your way to Coleman. You'll be good to go. Well, like I said, it was dark. And it was stormy. And I'd never been to Dalton, Georgia. And I couldn't quite tell where I was supposed to turn. And so... I went right past where she told me to turn right. Her instructions were clear. Turn, turn, right. And I didn't. I kept going straight. And do you know what Siri said to me after a few moments went by and she realized I hadn't turned and I was on the way? Do you know what Siri said to me? She said, well, forget it then. If you're not going to listen to me, find your own way home. You're going to ignore me like that. I said turn right. Fine, do it yourself, smart guy. Is that what she said? No, you know what she said? She said, it just as calm as could be, at the next available U-turn, <laughs> we went right up here, we took a left, and do you know what dude? She brought me right back to the place of my transgression and gave me a second start. Now, some of you trust Siri more than you trust Christ. What do you think he's going to do? Siri never died for anybody. That's a, a virtual assistant. Jesus Christ is going to take you right back. He's going to what? Compassion and abundantly pardon. I don't know what abundantly pardon could possibly mean. It doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Because a pardon's a pardon. You know what I mean? There's only so much you can pardon. You're, you were guilty, now you're not. Here's what I think it means. I think you, you, when someone gets an abundant pardon, it's not a super pardon. It just means a whole lot was pardoned. That's what it means. See, if you get pardoned for a parking ticket, that's a pardon. If you get pardoned off a death row for murder, that's an abundant pardon. And the Bible teaches us that we are 
deserving of massive punishment. And if we were, listen, if we were saved from hell, I believe you'd have to call that abundantly pardoned. Just RSVP. He's waiting. Seems too easy. I mean, it seems too easy. I mean, that seems too easy. Like, just come after all we've done. How can guilty sinners be saved with a simple RSVP? Just just come and receive it. I mean, that's it. That 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 that, what? Like that undoes it. It, It's too easy. There's got to be something we have to do. There's got to be something we have to put forth. This doesn't make sense. You can't just undo sin and just say, "Okay, now I'm saved." That doesn't make sense. I know. I know. See, see, my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. I know. This whole transaction of how I save people, it doesn't make a bit of sense to you humans. Because you humans, God's saying, you're at each other's throats all the time. And buddy, it's, you want your pound of flesh. If you've been hurt, I'm going to hurt this one even more. I'm not going to be hurt again. Eh. But see, the thing is, your thoughts are not my thoughts. And you wouldn't do salvation this way. You'd let the worthy, you'd let the self. Here, I'm giving away wine and bread to people without any money. So clearly, I do things a little different. And I'm going to have grace. And it's not going to make a bit of sense. Because my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. In fact, verse 9, for, in fact, just to <laughs> heighten the point, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Do you know some people will miss salvation because it's too easy? And if there was a list of things to do, they'd jump on it. This is the crazy thing. If I said, look, God offers you not only an eternity that you don't have to go to hell, now you can go to heaven and be with him forever. You have peace on this life. You have purpose. All that's taken care of. Like, you, you can trust him and have everything. And they'll say, eh, take it or leave it. But if I said, and here's all you have to do to do it. Here's all you have to do to get it. All you have to do to be saved and I made up these things you have to do. You have to pray every day, once a day, for six weeks, and the prayer can be no shorter than nine minutes. So nine minutes. 901 is fine. You can go longer, but every day, nine-minute prayer for six, what did I say, six weeks? See, that's the problem with legalism. You're always changing the rules. <laughs> Used to be dancing and gambling. Now it's something else. Anyway, you're always changing. You can never keep up. Uh, uh, secondly, you have to... Um, Church attendance. You can't miss church for eight weeks. Thirdly, you have to give money. You have to give $1,200. If you give that, you can give it in installments or whatever. There's a payment plan we can set up, but you have to give money. And you have to get baptized four times. Okay. Now, if you do all these things, okay, now here's the, here's the, here's the irony of all this. The irony of all this is that is a more attractive offer to a lot of people. Because you know what they do? They'd get it, they'd laminate it, they'd put it on their fridge, they'd put little check boxes, and they'd check, and just check them off, and check them off, and salvation! <laughs> Whereas if you say, yeah, you can have, all this is actually free, eh, you don't want it. Do you know why? It's obvious if you think about it. Because if there's a check box, then I can be saved and still have my pride. See, no matter what happens for the rest of my life, no matter what God asks of me, I can always say, ah, 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 ah. you did most everything, but I did my part. Currently, the terms we're being offered of salvation know nothing of that nonsense. They know nothing of that legalism. And now, for the rest of our life, if God comes to us and asks us anything, the answer is yes. Why? Because he didn't save all but a little bit of me. He saved 
all of me. Therefore, there's nothing, there's no part of me that can be held back. And that makes us a little uncomfortable when we acknowledge that he is the complete Savior. Much more comfortable with legalism. Nonetheless, God won't have it. His ways are higher than our ways. He says, I know, I'm doing it by grace, not legalism. So trust in me. Proverbs 3 says it this way. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. All right. Assuming that many of you here are believers, you need, number three, the confirmation. What do I mean by that? What's my assurance? How do I know? Where do I look for assurance of salvation? If you've been saved, a lot of people will make the mistake of basing their assurance of salvation on something that happened long ago and trying to, trying to sort of sort through, did I, did I pray the right prayer? Did I really mean it? Did I know what I was doing? And I think, what a fool's errand to try to look back at what you did for your assurance of salvation. Now, some of you are, are, are fortunate that you can remember the exact moment, you remember the exact time, and you remember everything about it, and it was darkness to light, and maybe you were later in life. Others of you, you were young, and quite frankly, you don't remember all the details, and you know, you, you wonder, like, well, did I do everything right? I said, whoa, whoa, whoa. So you're telling me for assurance of salvation, you're looking backward at your own experience? Why not instead look forward to that day you will meet God, and when you meet God, what are you trusting in? Hmm? Let me tell you something. If Jesus Christ shows up for me in that moment, I'm good to go. And if he doesn't, I'm going to split hell wide open. So my whole salvation depends on one thing, whether Jesus Christ can be trusted. And I trust him. You know what that means? That means my salvation is not based on what, what did I do, what did I not do, I forget. I, my salvation is based on, is the word of God trustworthy or not? Can Jesus Christ be trusted? I'd much rather have my salvation on that footing than looking back on some experience. The experience is great, and we're grateful for it, and we should certainly remember the day we were saved. But here's what, here's what I want to base it on. Verse 10, I want to base it on the word of God. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return... There, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the cedar, bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty. And if he sent this word to save souls, look at what he promises. It'll do it. It shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. If God's, if God's word says, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, then if you call upon the name of the Lord, God's word says, you shall be saved. My salvation is not based on me looking back. It's based on Christ. There are a lot of application you could get from this. The main one I want you to see is that assurance of salvation rests on his word. And, and, and if you're resting in his word, your salvation is only as secure as his word. And that's pretty secure. The, the other application is just to share the word, right? Be talking about scripture. Talk about it all the time. Talk about it at work. Why? It won't, it, did you ever memorize this verse? My word will not return void. That's what this is. King James, I think, my word will not return void. Same thing. In other words, it's going to accomplish its purpose. And as you talk about it, uh, people forget the first part of the metaphor. They wonder, if, if, you, if you share Christ and you talk about scripture to friends at work, how come they immediately don't get saved? Well, that's not how seed works. And remember, what's the image? As the rain waters the earth and as the snow waters the earth. What are rain and snow? Those are storms, y'all. Metaphor's about storms. A lot of times people won't hear the word of God, but then there'll be a storm in their life and they'll put the two together. And the seed that you planted because you knew the word of God, you shared the word of God, suddenly that seed was planted. So talk about the word of God. Share it. And not only will you give bread to the hungry, you'll give seed to the sower and they can share with others that means you got to be in the word let me say this as clearly as i can mornings are for two things coffee 
and the word. Not coffee and the web. Am I clear? It's a big difference when your mornings are coffee and the word versus coffee and the web. The editor of the Alabama Baptist made an interesting point. She was talking about what to do as Christians before the coming election. And I thought she was going to say what everybody says, pray. I'm like, well, no kidding. Like, we're supposed to pray. We're always praying. In fact, we pray every Wednesday night. We pray for government, civic leaders, local leaders. We pray for the president, the vice president by name. And we're not going to stop that. And we will continue, by the way, after November, we will continue to pray for the president by name, who, whatever name that is. Why? Because we're God's people. We're going to be a faithful witness. Mary's in the Oval Office. We worship the King of Kings, Lord of Lords, okay? So we're not, we're not shaken by this stuff. Um, but I thought, he was, I, thought he was say, I thought she was going to say pray and move on. She didn't. It was very insightful. And, and she often is. If you read the Alabama Baptist, it's very good. She said, she made something. What a suggestion. She said, if you are already certain who you're going to vote for come this election in November, if you know beyond a shadow of a doubt who you're going to vote for and you've locked it in and you're certain, she says, if you're already certain, then turn off all national news and don't watch a single national news from here to the election. Watch local news. Why? Because we've got to know about school closures and cancellations. I mean, you know, we've got we to stay up, stay up on stuff. But don't, don't, don't watch all these national, you know, Fox News and MSNBC. Why? Because the only thing you're going to get is angry. She's exactly right. She says, now look, now look, if you don't know yet, then the news is supposed to educate you. Okay, this, poly, this, this party thinks this, and these policies are over here. Okay, and, and you're in a swing state, and you're kind of like still undecided. Then by all means, keep watching the news, get educated. But if you already know, and nothing's going to change your mind, turn it off. Because all you're getting is angry. Instead, those mornings reserve them for coffee and the word. Now, if you come up to me after and say, a preacher, I don't drink coffee. Mountain Dew in the word. I don't care. Whatever, whatever your elixir is, uh, I just want you in the word. Finally, let's come to the party. We'll close with this. Oh, the party. There is coming a day. And God told the people who were, remember, they were in Babylon. God told those children of Israel, y'all, there's coming a day when you're going to leave a Babylon. But the suffering servant didn't die for the sins of the world just so an ancient group of people could leave Babylon. No, no, no. Something much more. No, you can leave your life of sin and addiction. You can leave this temporary home. You will be with God in your forever home. And your hungry heart will be forever feasting. And you, I promised you at the beginning, you will not believe the band God booked for the homecoming of God's people. For the salvation of his people. The new heaven, new earth. Look at verse 12. For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. And look at the band. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing and all the trees of the field are on percussion. Instead of the Jonas brothers, he got the three sisters of Oregon. Instead of 21 pilots, he got Pike's Peak. And instead of U2, he booked K2, the mountains. And since none of those bands made any connection, I'll try a new one. Julie Andrews was right. The hills are alive with the sound. Okay, got it. All right. With the sound of music. Every square inch of the universe praising God. Does that not excite you? What kind of band is worthy of the creator of the universe redeeming for himself a people, saving your soul? What kind of band would you get? The mountains and the trees. That's who. Breaking forth into singing, clapping their hands in worship. Every square inch. Prayer and praise. What was that song we sang? How great thou art. Da, 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 da. Uh, 
Join with all nature in manifold witness to thy great faithfulness. That's it. We will join in all nature in manifold, much, much, much witness to what? To his great faithfulness. And that is where I want to end. Look at the last verse. Who's this party for? Look at verse 13. Who's this party for? I, I, I know, I know, I, I know. I, listen, I know. When you start talking about the idea of nature, nature with the loud clapping and the loud singing, can we just take a moment and, and laugh at ourselves a little bit? When you talk about nature, loud clapping and loud singing, I know people that specifically choose a church that avoids those kinds of shenanigans. But who are we? Who are we not to be part of this procession of the saved who can't keep but clapping and singing? As the Auden line in the poem goes, if there, when grace dances, I should dance. The Bible is not kind to those who, when there's a party going on for a forgiven sinner, remain outside too proud to go in. The Bible's not kind to those folks. They're in Luke 15 if you want to read about them. It's the older brother. In the return of the prodigal son, the older brother won't go into the party. But God promises, instead of the thorns shall come up the cypress, instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle. Remember Genesis 3, the ancient curse? Thorns and thistles will come out. Now Christ has reversed the curse. And instead of thorn and ever a cypress evergreen, and instead of the briar, a myrtle ever flowering. Truly the words of the Christmas song, Joy to the World. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. Far as the curse is found. And it shall make, here it is, it shall make. Who's this for? Who's this party for? Is this for us? Is this party for our glory? Is this party just so you can go to heaven when you die and that's it? No, it shall make a name for the Lord. An everlasting sign that shall not be cut off for trillions of years in the new heaven, new earth. If you need to know what God's like and you need a sign, you just look around and see the saved, the redeemed of the world. Look to the lamb. Look to the mountains and the trees are clapping. Why? It's all for his. Is, is it for our name? Psalm 15, Psalm 115 verse 1 says, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory. Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but to your name be the glory forever and ever. A sign that shall not be cut off. So that's it. The application couldn't be simpler. Listen, some of you need to humble yourself. If you've not received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you need to humble yourself and receive this invitation. RSVP today. Let today be the day. Seek the Lord while he may be found. To those of you who are my brothers and sisters in Christ, you need to confirm your salvation. Every morning, coffee in the Word. Hear from him this great truth. Let him speak to your heart. Give, let his word give you your assurance of salvation. And then all that remains, y'all, get ready for the party. Get ready for the party. Spend every dime you have on the coming party, not on this. Well, not every. I mean, you need enough to live, and you need, a, you need a roof over your head and all that stuff. But come on, don't invest in this. This is on its way out. Everything else, lay everything else you can. The Bible says lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. Put all your time, your energy, your resources in the stuff that's going to be around in a, in a trillion years. Let's get ready for the party, you see? Let's prepare for that. Let's see, let's see how many souls we can get to, to RSVP to that invitation, yeah? That's the great party, the great invitation of Isaiah 55. Let's pray. God, grant to us 
anyone who's watching this that needs to receive you as Lord and Savior, grant, oh God, grant to them the humility to receive this invitation. Don't let, the pride, pride's the only thing I can think of that would keep someone from being saved today. Don't let pride keep them from being saved. Let them RSVP today with their life. And for those who are believers, oh God, let today be a day of confirmation and encouragement, of, of affirmation. It doesn't come from just reviewing their own experience. As important as that is, I, I pray they would stake their salvation on the eternal, unchanging word of God this morning and receive that affirmation. And God grant that with everything we have, we would prepare for the coming kingdom and not live so much for this kingdom that we miss what's coming. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're here this morning and you've never received Jesus, I, I, you may say, well, I, I, I did what you said. I, I, I called on him. Is that it? What, what do I need to do? You know, do I need? Let us talk to you. Come forward. Pastor Scott will be here to receive any who come. Just be reminded. If you are a believer, then listen to the words of this song. As we sing this, let it sink into your heart and take to heart this affirmation, this confirmation of this coming great party all paid for by the suffering servant. Cost us nothing, cost him everything. Will you stand to your feet? Brother Scott will be here to receive any who come. Take this time to reflect, inspect, and worship. Are you hurting and broken within? Overwhelmed by the weight of your sin? Jesus is calling Have you come to the end of yourself? Do you thirst for a drink from the well? Jesus is calling Oh, come to the altar The Father's arms blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. Before our benediction, I'd like you to have a seat because we want to show to you a great uh, testimony of praise. We had a baptism last Sunday in the 8 a.m. service. We want to uh, show you that a baptism here in the 9.30, and I believe, unless I'm mistaken, we have another baptism scheduled for next Sunday, which might in fact be in this service, maybe 8 a.m., maybe 9.30, I can't remember, but celebrating what God is doing in the midst, and so turn your attention to these screens. <laughs> Kenneth and I had a great talk on uh, uh, Monday, and he shared with me his testimony. Kenneth, you know that we're going to make this proclamation of faith that Folks have made many languages for thousands of years, and it's that Jesus is Lord. But I don't want Kenneth to say it alone. Church, if you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus, I want you to profess it. Jesus is Lord. Are you ready? Ready? Count of three. One, two, three. Jesus is Lord. Amen. Kenneth, a couple questions. Have you come to a place in your life where you've repented of your sins and placed your faith in Jesus as your Lord and Savior? And do you believe that Jesus is God's only begotten Son, that He died on the cross for your sins and on the third day rose again from the dead? And is it your desire today to tell the world that you are forever for King Jesus? And upon your profession of faith, 
And because of our Lord's command to baptize, I baptize you, my brother, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Therefore, we are buried in the likeness of Christ and raised to walk in newness of life. Amen. Amen. Three, verse 16 says, Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times in every way. The Lord be with you all. And God's people said, Amen. Amen.